The Guardian. It's dirty, smelly, and potentially a carrier of coronavirus. Sewage has long been known to harbour pathogens, bacteria and viruses, often secreted and flushed away by people who are sick. In the Netherlands, COVID-19 was detected in sewage as early as March, not long after their first patient was reported, and recent studies from Italy and Spain's wastewater suggest the virus was circulating in those countries as early as December. Could it be that sewage could help us retrace the origins of the virus? And could it help epidemiologists to discover where it's quietly spreading to next? The primary aim is to detect coronavirus in sewage and relate that to the numbers of people who are shedding the virus in the population. So it's used as a surveillance approach. After reading about the surprising potential of sewage, one of our listeners, Jacqueline, wrote in asking us to investigate how wastewater is being used to trace the virus, what the data has revealed so far, and how on earth the virus survives amongst all that muck. It is not at all unusual for viruses to be found in fecal material. But what we're finding, the more we look, the more we realize that a lot of these respiratory viruses are shed fecally. Obviously, we couldn't resist diving in. Metaphorically, of course. I'm Hannah Devlin, and this is Science Weekly. To find out more about wastewater epidemiology, I spoke to Dr Andrew Singer, Senior Scientist at the UK Centre for Ecology and Hydrology. Andrew, we've heard that traces of the virus that causes COVID-19 have been found in sewage, which means we're excreting it through our faecal matter, or to put it more frankly, poo. Um, I mean, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you was, do we know that the virus is alive or is it just sort of traces of virus that have made its way into the sewage system? Both are true. So there's the main means of detection for coronavirus in wastewater is to extract the viral RNA. So the RNA is the evidence that it exists, but it's not evidence that it exists in an intact and infectious form. So to know if it's infectious, uh, truly infectious, you genuinely have to retrieve it from that environment and um, effectively pose it to a receptive cell or in a cell that can be infected by the virus. Um, and there are very few labs that are able to do that. So um, when people have gone to look to see if it is infectious, they often find that it is. I often refer back to the SARS-1 because that's actually where a lot of the data you know, that we can rely on is, as opposed to sort of the emerging data. And back in the SARS-1, there was infectious virus there. There were studies that were conducted on wastewater to see how long the virus would persist. So it was able to survive three days in sewage, depended on the temperature as to how much longer than three days it would survive. From the time you flush the toilet, even in the most uplands catchment of the UK, let's say uh, Swindon, for example, which is not exactly everyone's idea of uplands. But to be honest, you know, if you flush a toilet in Swindon, it probably takes less than three days for that flush to eventually work its way out to sea. So we don't need it to last more than three days for it to be uh, important. We just need to know can it last on the order of hours? Um, and if it can last on the order of hours, then it's 
um, environmentally relevant because A, the people who work at Sewage Works will be exposed to it, and B, um, when sewage is discharged into the river, either through treatment or through CSOs, which are uh, when it forgoes treatment at all and it goes straight into the environment. I'm curious about whether um, viruses normally make their way into into the toilet if you're ill. And aren't there lots of chemicals down in the sewage system that just kill all this stuff off? Or are they actually a good environment for viruses and germs to grow? It is not at all unusual for viruses to be found in fecal material. Um, respiratory viruses are classically transmitted through the aerosols or, or through touch. But what we're finding, the more we look, the more we realize that a lot of these respiratory viruses are shed fecally. And influenza, another one that is not at all a major route of transmission fecally, um, but you can find it there. So coronavirus, it wasn't a complete surprise um, that it was found there. And I think what people are becoming a bit more surprised about is to how resilient it is in the environment. Yeah, obviously the immediate environment is is the stool itself and then that it finds its way into the sewer system which as you say has loads of chemicals in them and then there'll be um, household chemicals like your body washes and your your detergents and disinfectants and things like that and every pharmaceutical that you've ever taken so this huge cocktail of chemicals um, have an unknown effect but you know the dilution that these chemicals get when they go in the sewer system um, appears to be insufficient. I mean, you mentioned the possible risk to sewage workers, but if live virus is floating around in the sewage system, is there a sort of broader risk uh, to infecting people or is it quite unlikely to actually spread infection? We don't know. No one's, no one's looking. Um, the WHO quite quickly determined that there wasn't any risk of sewage um, or at least they worded it in such a way that that is the conclusion that you were to walk away with. However, the real words that they use is that there is no evidence to suggest that there is a risk, which of course either means there is evidence and none of it said there was any risk, or there is no evidence at all. It turns out it's the latter. Um, there was no evidence uh, and there remains no evidence because no one's actually doing the research. And we're left with people's best guesses to the extent to which this is something we should worry about. Andrew, you're leading the UK's national COVID-19 wastewater surveillance programme. What's the project aiming to do? The primary aim is to detect coronavirus in sewage and relate that to the numbers of people who are shedding the virus in the population. So it's used as a surveillance approach. That surveillance approach can be used to track um, the direction of travel for the infection. So are we having fewer cases today than we did yesterday or last week? And it can also be used as uh, a tool for re-emerging virus. Hopefully we'll get to the point where we don't have any substantial transmission anymore in the public and we'll continue with the surveillance element of it and um, look for the presence of the coronavirus, after which point we then see that you know they, there is transmission again. And um, this kind of information will inform the kinds of reactions that the government would want to make uh, in these localized areas. 
our project is to develop the methods to make the wastewater approach um, a viable approach, um, a at the bare minimum, understand the factors that contribute to the uncertainty um, when we come up with a number and to also improve on the, the precision and the accuracy of the numbers that we, we generate, which are sort of falls into two camps. One is you're basically given the most complex mixture on earth, which is called sewage, and you have this tiny little analyte, uh, which is a virus inside of it. And what we need to do is be able to get that virus out of this horrible matrix quantitatively and with the best possible extraction efficiency. The second half is to, once you get viral RNA from a sample, what you need to do is then figure out how does that relate to the numbers of people that are shedding the virus within the catchment. I'm just trying to picture how, how exactly this works. I mean, does this involve you actually going down into the sewers yourself? Uh, do, do you have to go down there and pick up samples or is this all sort of automated? I'm just curious about the sort of nitty gritty of how you carry out this research. There's the wish list of how we would love to have this happen. Um, and then there's the reality of how we are doing it at present um, because it's, it is early days. This is the first time um, anyone has ever, ever really done this. So um, in this early stage, we're requesting the cooperation of the regional water companies and they will provide a wastewater sample at the influent. So that's right at the, the start of a wastewater treatment plant. Um, some of the team is looking at um, samples within the wastewater treatment plant to see how uh, much of the virus is lost. And then, of course, at the end of the wastewater treatment. And so for your colleagues that are dotted around the country, what are they actually receiving in the post? I mean, is it sort of an envelope full of sludge that's turning up on their desk each morning? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it's worse than that. So they're given um, effectively a, a liter's worth of sewage and that sewage then gets processed in you know a very varied number of ways. And the varied number of ways is effectively the project. Once you've run these tests and figured out the best way of measuring the virus in sewage, I wondered what role this could play in helping us understand what's going on in the outbreak and where it fits in with other surveillance methods. We think that this is a tool that will complement what we currently have and it in fact fills a void that nothing else has been able to fill up until now because it's, it's a non-invasive population level sample um, that's unbiased, so there wasn't any purposeful sampling of a particular population. And um, it's something that you could continuously sample at, you know, it, a relatively low cost. And that's why we think that this kind of approach is applicable to not just coronavirus. It's a much broader application. Um, and the hope is that we can start to look at population level health for things that we've always concerned ourselves with. So there's infectious diseases that have always been reportable diseases and things like that, but also emerging infections. As I said, we can find uh, influenza in, in uh, sewage. And so there could always be something um, where you, know, you have 
you know, an influenza primer always on the go, looking for things that are sort of variants of, of the, the known knowns. And, um, you know, if we had that, would have easily found it for the swine flu pandemic of 2009, because it was swimming around Mexico and South, uh, the Southern US for ages before it became a pandemic. And uh, you would have also not only known that it was there, but you would have seen in a semi-quantitative way how much it was there. Was it, you know, bucket loads or were you, you know, barely at the detection limit of, uh, of the virus in sewage? From what you've described, this could have been really helpful in some of the past outbreaks. I'm wondering what the challenges are that have meant that it's not been used until now. I've been thinking about that for a while. And um, to me, I think it was obvious that it should have been done 10 plus years ago. So when the influenza pandemic happened, um, I was trying to do something like this. But I think uh, the technology itself, molecular biology, um, has all come so far. And there's nothing that isn't routine about the methods that we're using anymore, because we have been doing it for polio for um, decades. And so it seems obvious that that would apply to many other pathogens, but yet we still haven't used it for any other pathogen. As this science matures, you could easily see this will be one of the primary surveillance tools uh, because it is so much cheaper and so much easier to implement. Obviously, there is an immediate need for COVID, and so um, the methods and uh, the skills and the capacity um, is being built to address that. Thanks so much, Andrew. That's been fascinating. Oh, great. My pleasure. Good luck with the project. Thank you. <laughs> You don't sound smitten on the idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about uh, these these packages that are arriving to your poor colleagues in the post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, there are freezers full of this shit, <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> Thanks again to Andrew and to our curious listener, Jacqueline. To send us your own question on the science behind the outbreak, Fill in our form at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions, all one word. As always, stay safe and see you back here soon. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.